burdened deeply about a certain church there in the Bible, the church at Jerusalem. Perhaps because of his tremendous persecution and hatred toward the church there in Jerusalem, him hailing folk into prison before he got saved as a Saul of Tarsus, probably felt responsible for the death of husbands, maybe wives, maybe children. But for some unknown reason, hard times had fallen upon the church at Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul was extremely, extremely burdened. Probably every time he walked the street of Jerusalem, he saw a child without a parent that he had been uh, privy to incarceration or maybe decapitation or maybe crucifixion. But for some unknown reason, Paul was extremely, extremely burdened about the poor saints at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem had fallen over hard times. They had tried communal living where they had pooled everything together and sold their property and pooled it in a, in a common treasure. And evidently somebody had misappropriated some things and then in Acts chapter 6, we hear the murmuring of the widows that have been neglected because of the administration of those funds. Paul has now gone through the churches, the Gentile churches, and asked them to take up a special offering to aid the poor Christians at Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1 and 2, it talks about now taking up a collection for the saints. And upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in him store as God hath prospered him, that there be no want when he comes. One year has transpired, and Paul is writing the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he's having reference to that offering that those Gentile churches are supposed to be gathering that he's going to come by a year later and pick up. And now in verse 1 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those churches that has been started in Gentile countries in, in Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. You know, I've been pastoring, preaching now 46 plus years, 
I've never had anybody to beg me to take an offering. But these folks are actually begging Paul, please let us have a part in this offering. Because of their poverty, because of their low economic uh, situation, Paul, I suppose, had just probably looked over and said, well, maybe they can give something. But they were praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, have you ever considered just how rich our Lord Jesus was before he became poor? Rich that the city in which he dwells, streets are paved with gold. The walls that encompasses the city is made of crystal, gates of solid pearl, crowned with a rainbow sitting on a great white throne, angels, his attendants, and the stars and the galaxies cry out his glory. He was rich. Shall we read the rest of the verse? Yet for your sakes, he became poor. So poor he was born in a borrowed manger. So poor when it come time to eat, he had to borrow a lunch from a little boy who had just a few loaves and a few fishes. So poor he confessed that even though the birds of the net birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. So poor, when he wanted to fulfill all scripture and prophecy of the word of God, he had to borrow a coat to ride into town. So poor that when he died, he had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. For your sake. For your sakes. 
he became poor that we might be made rich. Our Father today, we ask your divine presence, we ask for your divine guidance, we ask, dear God, that today that we might not see materialism, things, stuff, and junk. But Lord, may we see today that stewardship is not about things. It's about lordship. And Lord, may we look today for our great example as we study the principles of your word. And Lord, may we ever be May we ever be aware that stewardship is not raising money. It is raising Christians. So I pray today, help us with an open mind and faith. Look forward to what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I know I'm preaching and looking toward and aiming at a very sensitive spot. I can call your kids rug routes and, has, and house apes and you say amen. And I can call your wife anything and you can say amen. I can call your husband stupid, lazy, no good, sorry, reprobate, and a lot of wives don't say anything, but they write me notes saying, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> but I can mention money, and everybody gets tight jawed. And turn real pale around the gills, as if a vampire bat had got a hold of your toe and sucked all your blood out. My subject today is giving. Let's look in our Bibles to the book of Luke 6. Luke 6. And I want you to take a look in your Bible for just a moment. And you say, preacher, you know there's a couple of ball games today. Well, we'll do this like we used to do baloney when I was a kid. We just cut it off, pack it up, and carry on the rest of it tonight. Much is in the news today about the economy. Much stress is put upon economics. I do not want to talk to you today about economics. I want to talk to you today about Godonomics. Vast amount of difference in economics and Godonomics. Let me give you Godonomics in one verse. Verse 38. Of Luke 6. How many of you believe your Bible? Say amen. amen. I mean, how many of you believe the Bible? Say amen. amen. I mean, you really believe the Bible? Say amen. amen. You believe it'll work? Say amen. amen. Notice the first word. Now I want you to say it. All together on three. One, two. Amen. Don't get mad at me because I didn't say it. Going to try that again? <laughs> Give. 
I'm going to talk today about giving. And if it hurts, you need to go see Dr. Jesus. Because it's not supposed to hurt a child of God. Give and it shall be given unto you. How many believe that? Then I would sin against God in not telling you how to get God into giving to you. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Preacher, I can't afford to give. Don't give. Stay broke. If you're satisfied with what you got, hang on to it. If you've got all you need, then you don't need any more. But if there is a vast, vast possibility, you might go to Walmart tomorrow, you might need to take something with you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Is that what the Bible says? Now, how many of us still believe the Bible? Say amen. Amen. Let's do it again. How many of us still believe the Bible? Say amen. amen. My subject is given. My motive is grace, not law. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What I am talking to you today about is grace given. First one of chapter number 8 of 2 Corinthians. Notice this verse, if you would please. And I know this is Sunday morning, so I'm going to be dignified. Tonight, I'll turn loose. I'll get loose. I'll act a fool. I'll turn a dido. Do a swan dive off the platform. Once. Grace given. Luke 6, 38, give. By grace, verse 1 of Roman of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Now look at this. The Bible says, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Moreover, brethren, we do ye to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Paul is using the churches in Macedonia as an illustration of grace given. Now, I used to do this, but I don't want to do it because this crowd is too dignified for me to do this. But have you ever been done to wit? You said, preacher, I'm sure I have, because I don't remember when. Have you ever been... Done to wit. Because Paul says to the church at Corinth, I want to done to wit you. 
Have you ever been done to it? You said, preacher, I'm sure that's Greek. If it's not Greek, it's Alabama. If it's not Alabama, it's got to be what the moonshiner on Discovery Channel do after they've been caught. <laughs> Done to wit could be illustrated thusly. Now, I am a huge chicken farmer thanks to certain people in our church who did not want to feed the chickens and brought them to me. We have roosters. And every morning, the rooster climbs up on something and announces to all the world that God is still alive. Some mornings I respond to that sucker as saying, good Lord, it's morning. Then other mornings I respond with good morning Lord. And that rooster gets up and announced to all the girls in the hen house another day, another opportunity. A local chicken house had such a rooster and he had to look like Foghorn Leghorn. Isn't that a wonderful rooster? Everybody needs a Foghorn Leghorn in their bed. I say, say, boy, uh, needs one like that. Who walks about the chicken yard all day long, strutting his feathers, talking to the girls. Well, unknowingly to the rooster, the folks next door bought an ostrich. And one morning he climbed upon his pole and began his cock-a-doodle-doo and he looked across the fence and laying on the ground with the biggest egg he'd ever seen in all his life. He lost his complete cock-a-doodle-doo that day Without a word, he jumped off the fence over to where that huge ostrich egg was laying. And he just looked at it in amazement for a while. And so he got the bright idea. He began to nudge that old egg over toward his own hen house and found a crack in the the fence and rolled it uh, in the yard and into the chicken house and all the ladies was in the nest uh, doing their daily deed. And he announced his presence and woke up all the girls. And he said, now girls, I want you to know I am not complaining, but I want you to look what's going on next door. (laughs) He done them to wit. Paul is saying, Church at Corinth, I'm not complaining, but I want you to look at what the churches of Macedonia is doing to help in this offering. 
verse 2. And the Bible says how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and in their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power or their ability, how about record, yea, and beyond their ability or power, they were willing of themselves. Praying us, if you please, begging us, admonishing us, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, why just an offering would have been enough, just a token gift would have been enough, but they did not just give a gift, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to do us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, man, what a church. Look at this. A church that abounded in faith. A church that abounded in utterance and a church that abounded in knowledge and a church that abounded in diligence and a church that abounded in love to the leadership. Wow, what a church. A church of conviction. They had faith that the Lord Jesus Christ could take care of it. A church of, of competence. They was competent in relating their faith uh, Audibly, they were able to stand up and eloquently pass the message of Jesus Christ along a church of comprehension. They knew they had knowledge of the Word of God, a church of, uh, of commitment. They were diligent in what they did, a church of compassion. They loved them. Man, what a church. But like Jesus said, lackest thou one thing. See that ye abound in the grace of giving also. Notice, see to it. No choice. Get on with it. You say, I'm a great preacher. A tight wad preacher, are you? I'm a great teacher and step when it comes to tithing and giving in a kind of lock job. Paul is calling this church and our church into a ministry of grace given. Given, he said, see to it. We are to possess in great quality. We are to abound in our giving to an overflowing situation. We're to flourish. Oh, dear Lord, how can we have the nature of God and be a tight wad 
you any reference to God and you always see him giving. Love is not what we can get. Love is what we can give. Law gives under necessity. Grace gives because of love. Giving is the highest test of love. Verse 9, look at this. The highest test of love. I dare some of you husbands tell your wife you love her and don't ever take the check home. Tell your kids you love them, but you bought your dog a collar for Christmas and didn't have enough left over for them. Giving is the highest test of love. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. John 13, 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. For God so loved the world, he did what? Gave is only, as I have done, so do ye. The Bible said, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. The highest test of love is given. For Christmas, I, I really detest Trying to prove to my family I love them one day a year by going into debt. Now I just, my name is Scrooge McWuffenbarger. <laughs> I honestly try to prove to my family I love them every day, every day, every day of the year. And I want to continually be given to them because that is the nature of God. And I want them to see the true nature of God in a living example, not just on the pages of a book that we call the Bible. I want them to see the living example of giving. Because if I have the true nature of God, if God is in me and Christ is in me and the Holy Spirit is in me, he who gives will want to give through me. The highest test of love given is the prominent characteristic of God. Think of this. Come unto me and all you that labor and heavy laden, you know the rest of it, and I will give you rest. Valium can't promise that. We try to get rest in every way in the world, the prominent characteristic of God is given. If any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. Oh, dear Lord, did you know that your very existence on this earth is dependent upon God continually and consistently given to you. Every good and every perfect gift cometh from the Father above of whom there is no bearable. The Bible said Adam was laid out like a rock. Looked like the average Baptist in church. No life.
He looked like a people. He smelt like a people. But he had no life. Grab you a test tube and see if you can squeeze life out of it. There's a time for every reason or season under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. And you know who controls the time clock? God does. You say, I don't like that. Take it up with a guy who did it. But you believe this. When it's your time to check in, you'll check in. Because life, breath, sunshine, health, everything, you are dependent on God continually supplying what you need to exist. And then we get mad because somebody says something about giving to God. Let me talk to you. What time is it? Uh, time's a ball game, Clint. Oh, the Cowboys are done, right? Well, I hate that. I hate that. My message is very simple. Grace given. Number one, the first thing we give God is us. God don't have you. Listen to me. He don't need your money. God is not broke. God has not called Obama this week for a bailout. God don't care how Congress votes. He's not interested in the situation down at the Bank of America. He is not interested at all. But I want you to note something. Paul said, I want you church at Corinth and you church at Joshua, I want you to realize something. First of all, that church at Macedonia, verse 5. Notice if you would please. In verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what they did. Verse 5. This is grace given. Verse 5. This did, they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Now, I know there's a lot of different translations today, but how many of you folk need a translation to understand what they did? Do you need me to explain this in the Amplified Bible? First of all, that's before last and in between the middle. What they did is vigorously, intelligently, uh, expeditiously, and, and not temporarily, but foreverly, they gave themselves to God. Let me tell you something. If God has you, I don't have to mention any of the rest of it. Because if God has you, he has everything you've got in him. Amen. Amen. The question today is not your money. The question today is your heart. The question today is not who has your treasure. The problem today is does your treasure have you? 
Are you wondering and are you concerned about people being saved or the interest rate going up? Have you written more checks to Walmart than you've written to Jesus? It's easy to find out if God has you or not. Just look at your checkbook. Somebody said, preacher, I got you there. I don't use checks. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have in you, which you have of God, why, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, in your body and your spirit, which are God's. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of economics. It's a matter of Godonomics. Does God have you? Andrew Duff, a great missionary of the world past, sitting in a missions conference in Scotland and they preached night after night about the lost and preached about the, the heathen that needed Christ and preached about heavenly sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross and at the end of that great conference they was going to take an offering to help in spreading the gospel around the world. Little Andrew Huff about seven, eight years old did not have much money but as the offering plate plashed down the aisles he came by in Ruth's Duff's pew. He did not know what to do so he just got out of the pew and followed the usher back to the back of the church. And when he got to the back of the church, Brother Duff Andrew, little boy, said, Sir would you please lower the offering plate just a dab? And he lowered it down to about his waist and Andrew said, Sir I can't reach it. Would you please lower it just a little bit more? And he lowered it a little bit more. Andrew said, Sir would you please put the offering plate on the floor? And when he did, little Andrew Duff stood in the offering plate and said, Dear God, I give you myself. God don't need our money. God wants us a body and a spirit by which we may be glorifying the Lord with. It's not talents. It's not ability, it's availability. They first gave themselves to the Lord. You say, preacher, I got problems. Give them to God. John Wesley's house burnt down the next day. They said, well, John, what are you going to do? He said, that's just one less thing I got to worry about. He said, God, look what happened to your house. They first gave themselves. Pretty good, huh? Wish I'd have thought of that. Secondly, they gave what they had. You know, I've come a long way, baby. 
First time I preached, I couldn't even spell give. Now I got it flashing on the wall. Where to give? That we have. Now I outlined that for you, and I want to be very, 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 very quickly. First, we're to give the tithe. Some folks call it tithe. But it's a tithe. Malachi chapter 3. Preacher, that's the Old Testament. Glad you clarified that. Because I've only been doing this for 40 some years. And I'm glad you told me where that's found. But now if you turn to Genesis chapter 22, you'll find that the tithe is mentioned long before the law. Tithe is not a ceremonial law. Tithe is a moral law. Morally, God said, Adam, you can have six days, but I want one for myself. That one's to be holy. He said, Adam, you can have every tree in the garden, but I'd kind of like to reserve one for me. And in God's economy, God has always given us the majority but he always wants to keep the minority to keep in our mind that we are not really it after all. That it all comes from him and some of it belongs to him. The Bible said bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice it didn't say send, it said bring. All, that means all 10% of it not after you pay the TV, after you buy high-protein dog food for the cat. <laughs> Not after you fed every pet rat in the house. Tithe of all. Can I illustrate? If you make a hundred, ten dollars of it is not yours. According to Leviticus chapter twenty-seven, chapter thirty and verse twenty-seven. The tithe is holy unto the Lord. Well, I don't understand what the tithe is. Two verses down, 10. Leviticus 30, 27, 28, 29. Bring all of it into the storehouse. And prove me here wherewith, saith the Lord. Say, well, I'd like to prove God in other ways. I would like to prove God in my prayer life. That ain't going to touch your wallet much. The love of prayer is the root of all evil. You ever heard that verse? It's the love of money. It's what makes you so pale right now. And God said, if you'll bring the tithe and the offerings... And prove me here now with. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that you shall not be able to receive. Any folk believe the Bible? I said you believe the Bible. All right. What time is it? Time for me to quit. Okay. We took the offering a little while ago. And if you were listening real good, when it came past your aisle, if you listened 
with a Godonomic ear, you could hear the window either closing or opening. And when it came by your place, if you tithe and gave an offering, you could hear the window squeaking as God opens it and is going to pour you out a blessing you cannot receive. But now if you could not afford to give. You know what that last sound was? When the window was shut. And then he says, will a man rob God? And ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? God says, remember the window? You have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. Therefore, how many believe the Bible? Now, how many believe the Bible? Therefore, you are cursed with a curse. This whole nation. I'm just saying. Grace given incorporates giving ourselves. Giving our tithe. Giving our offerings. And may I help you in verse 8 and 9 of the book of Malachi chapter 3. God is very serious about the situation. Question and I'll close. If you repeatedly gave your children money that you needed only to watch them squander it and waste it unappreciative and continually come back and says, I want to buy another $2,000 worth of bubble gum and I want to buy another $1,000 worth of Dublin Dr. Peppers. And I won't, how long would you continue to support their lavish disobedience? For God to bless wrong is to encourage more wrong. For God to bless the lack of faithfulness in the matter of finances is to encourage more disobedience in the matter of finances. Do you understand that? God is very serious. He talks about giving a tithe, talk about giving an offering, talk about giving sacrificially. And I know you remember the lady who was down at the temple watching all the extravagant gifts in Mark chapter number uh, 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 2 and, or 12. And she came in and she just loved Jesus and loved God so much she just gave it all. Would somebody tell me who was watching her give? Jesus 
was standing by the treasure watching her gift. Do you think Jesus was attentive this morning? I preached a series of messages last year on sacrifice always gets God's attention. Read your Bible and see what made God stand up and say, wow! How about the stoning of Stephen? Jesus stood up and said, wow! How about the offering of Isaac? God stood up and said, wow! How about the orphan little boy with five loaves and two fishes? I'm glad he wasn't a Baptist because he'd only give God 10% of that. <laughs> you say, preacher, I'm not liking this. I can tell you're not liking this. So I guess I better quit. They gave themselves. They gave what they had. Then they gave what they didn't have. Of their power, yea, and beyond their power. Verse 3, beyond their power, beyond their power. How many have ever heard of faith? Do you know without faith it is impossible to please God? Would you tell me why and how you were justified? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.17 says we live by faith. Is that not so? 2 Corinthians says we walk by faith. James says we pray by faith. See that ye abound in this grace also. If we are to live by faith, justified by faith, walk by faith, pray by faith, then why in God's name is it wrong to give by faith? Let me, I'm going to turn real quick. I'm going to talk to you about a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah has no babies. Hannah's womb is dead. Hannah cannot have any babies. But her, but her compadre has had babies. And in this day, it was looked down upon as a lady not having babies, as being inferior and so forth and so on. And Hannah wanted to have a boy. Hannah knew she wanted to have a boy. So she spent all her money on fertilization clinics so that she could have a baby. No. She lived by faith. If you want to sometime take your Bible and you turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and you see in verse number 10, Hannah prayed for a boy. I read for you. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She prayed for that which she did not have. And she prayed with this thought in mind. Lord, if you'll give me a boy, I promise you, I'll give him back to you. Verse 11, the Bible says, And she vowed a vow, 
and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. She prayed. Could I have an amen? She promised. Now, if you look down in your Bible just a little bit to verse number 20, and you'll notice God provided. Verse 20, the Bible said, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a what? Well, called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. How do I give something I do not have? How did they give what they had, then how did they give what they did not have? They gave by faith. They prayed. Dear God, next year when Paul comes by, when Titus comes by, when the other men come by, when they come by, Lord, if you'll provide it, I'll have it and put it in that plate for you. Say, that'll never work. I know it. Verse 24, she did what she said she'd do. When she had weaned, weaned him, took him with her, with three bullocks, an effort of flour, and a bottle of wine, and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Verse 27, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. She prayed. She promised. God gave. She performed. Who was that news commentator you say, now for the rest of the story? Who was that? Paul. Would you like to hear God's rest of the story? Chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. She gave what she had. They gave what they didn't have because they first gave themselves. You say, man, I'm glad you're done. Who said I was done? I was preaching in Panama City, Florida. I was preaching on the bus ministry. And I was trying, with the pastor's request, to get new bus workers and new blood into the bus ministry. Two churches down in Panama City, Florida. One would have me, the other one would not. Because back in those days, I used to sing a lot. It wasn't that they didn't like my singing. It's just they didn't believe in using soundtracks while you sing. You know, some of these Baptist churches, you know, well, the guys that's playing the piano on the soundtrack may be a reprobate. Well, I know a lot of reprobate piano players in the church. 
So they would not let me sing in their church, but all of their people came over to this other church to hear me sing and preach. I preached on bus ministry that night, and folks just flooded the aisles and surrendered to work on buses. I had one fellow walk down the aisle and said, Preacher, I'd like to do something significant tonight, but I'd kind of like to tell you why. Well, after I asked everybody to come and work for a bus, I looked and saw a lot of older people back there. They couldn't work, so I asked them to buy some buses. (laughs) I guess I should have took that up with a building committee. I have no idea. But we had several thousand dollars that night donated to buy buses. This fellow walked down the aisle and said, I have a gift for the church, but I'd kind of like to tell you about it. I said, that's fine. How much is it? He said, $521. I said, you can have all the time you want. He said, let me tell you something about this $521. He said, I am a policeman on police force, Panama City, Florida. Have a farm just across the state line up in Alabama. I have a John Deere tractor. I said, shake my hand. You must be going to heaven with a John Deere tractor. He said, I plow. He said, several years ago, I was plowing with my John Deere tractor. I was just going down through the fields just like I had good sense, and all of a sudden, the thought of my wallet came to my mind. In my wallet, I had $521. He said, I looked back just as I watched my wallet turned under. He said, Preacher, I've plowed that ground several times since then trying to find that wallet. We looked, we dug, we scraped, we did everything, could not find that wallet. You're not going to believe this. Three years later, in the same field, on the same tractor, if he hadn't lost the $521, he could have had a new tractor. He said, I was going down through there just thinking, and I happened to think about that $521, and I said, dear God, you know, if, you, if you'd give that back to me, I'd give that to a church that's got buses trying to get little boys and girls saved. He says, I was flying down through there, and I looked back, and preacher, you ain't going to believe this, but something turned up. I wowed that John Deere tractor. I got off the tractor and got down. And preacher, would you believe that was my wallet? Open the wallet. You could not tell how much money it was. You couldn't tell what it was. But I promised God I'd give it to him. So I went down to the bank, told the teller, give me my $521. She said, sir, I don't know what that is. The best thing for you to do, send that to the United States Treasury Department and let them decipher what that is. And he said, I sent that wallet to the United States Treasury Department, and preacher, here's a check, drawn on the United States Treasury Department, $521, and I want to give that to the bus ministry. You said that won't work. I didn't a look at your face. You ain't never tried it. Because you ever tried that, And you saw God do something in your life every single week of your life. God would be real. And he'd erase that old frown of doubt and frown of materialism 
frown of humanism off your face and wrap it with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Father, today we thank you for the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible Word of God.